I got this cold. Anybody else got these cold? Like, yeah, I got this headache. This is this is a great a great day if you have like a crying baby or a cell phone that goes off because I can't hear a thing. So, if you don't laugh at my jokes this morning, it's okay. I don't know. Just smile and go. I'll be like, oh look, I'm doing great. Yeah, whatever. If you're new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes, again, on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you do have a smartphone, you get an app. It's called Version. You click on Live, and it brings us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes and the questions and all the verses that go along with what we're talking about this morning. Um, and I have uh, this baby bottle right here. We uh, There's an organization in town called CareNet. And what they do is they help young girls who have gotten into some uh, dire circumstances. Usually they end up being pregnant or something. And they, and they help these young girls. And so one of their biggest fundraisers they do during the year is this baby bottle fundraiser. And so you just take a baby bottle for the next three weeks. You just take your change. You know, oh, I got some French fries. And it was, you know, $4 and one penny. And you get 99 cents change, bam, throw it in there. And, and just over the next three weeks, just fill it up and bring it back. We give it to them, all the money goes to them. If you need a tax-deductible receipt, put your name on the thing inside and turn it in with it, and they'll give you a tax-deductible receipt. Paper money also fits in these as well. It fits right to the top. You know, so our, our encouragement to you is that you would grab one of these on the way out the door and then bring it back in three weeks. And if you forget, feel guilty the rest of the year as it sits, oh, I remember that thing I was supposed to... <laughs> or not. Whatever. I am going to warn you, because since I am sick, I may blow my nose in the middle of this. Just ignore it. Be like, I didn't happen, you know. Watch down here, read God's word. I thought it'd get easier and I'd clear up as we go. I'm just getting more and more stuffed up. I can barely see. <laughs> if I pass out, it's part of it, all right? Uh, Psalm 102, verse 25, and it says, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we as a people would understand the workings that you have done and how you have made us and you have renewed us and you have called us and brought us home. And so I ask that as we live our lives, it would be outcroppings of what you have done in us by your great grace and goodness. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so here we go. I promise. Week two of Genesis. We're actually going to start the book of Genesis today, not like last week. Uh, open your Bibles at Genesis 1.1. Uh, my, my friend Pam Brown asked my wife, she goes, 73 weeks in Genesis, am I going to get bored? No, you're not going to get bored, I'll do my best to make that not happen. Uh, but we're going to kind of blaze a trail today right through the first five words in Hebrew, so it'll be good, good for you. Most weeks we'll cover a lot more than this, like next week we'll cover most of the rest of chapter one, but today uh, this is very important, like all things I think that we cover is important, but this is foundation, this is truth. You may think this isn't very spiritual. You know what we're going to talk about today. I think it's very spiritual. And you may also think I'm repeating myself a lot, which I will be. But that's okay because you need to hear it. Uh, Genesis 1.1 starts off like this. In the beginning, God created. Now, that's not five words in Hebrew. That's just three. And I'll give you those three words. The first word is beginning. Okay, this is the word bereshit, or some people pronounce it reshit. This is where Genesis comes from. And you got to pronounce it correctly or you're going to get in trouble, right? Bereshit does a bear in the woods, right? It's like, oh, don't get offended. You now actually will remember the word, right, since I, since I said that. This could also be translated when God began to create. 
And when you look in the Hebrew, it actually doesn't even complete the entire thought until God brings light into the creation in the middle of verse 3. Verse 2, which we'll look at next week as well as almost the rest of chapter 1's, it simply describes the state of things at the time when God first spoke, when it says it was formless and empty. This is the same thing that you and I are until Christ renews us. Galatians 4.19 says, until Christ is formed in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are new creations in Christ. This is the idea that God creates. So the second word is creates. This is the word bara. Uh, In this form, it is used exclusively in the Bible of divine creativity and creation. Uh, the wording signifies that from the Bible's perspective, and you can disagree and be wrong, that's okay. Uh, the Bible's perspective is that creation and then everything else that follows in the rest of the book depends solely on God for coming into existence. And it is beyond the human capacity to reproduce. Now, you ever hear this question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? According to Hebrew scriptures, do you know what it would be? The chicken! Exactly, the chicken. Because this this verb actually refers to a completed product. You see that God makes man and not a boy. He makes a woman and not a girl. He makes a tree that are, that are seed, with seed-bearing fruit already on it. God creates things in their fullness. And so then when God creates, this is what we call creation in ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing, out of nothing. This is repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament as well. It's even repeated in apocryphal books. Second Maccabees 7, 8 says, look up to heaven and the earth and see all that is therein and know that God made them out of things that did not exist. This repeated emphasis on God as the exclusive creator rules out the possibility of any preexistent matter. So you have these words, Bereshit. The second word is not God, it's bara. And the author puts these two words together to show this declaration that goes for the rest of the book. Third word, Elohim. This is, this is God. This is the word for God. Genesis never exhibits any interest in the questions of God's origin. His prior existence uh, to the world is taken as a given. doesn't even really require assertion, let alone proof. There is no definition of God or any mystical speculation about his nature. It simply is God just is. And then we find God's nature and his expression of how he then interacts with the people that he creates. This is how we know who God is, but how he interacts with human beings. Now this gives a lot of people pause. So I'm going to try and put this uh, as best I can so you can understand this a little bit. I might lose you in the explanation. I hope not. If I do, I'm sorry. Uh, this whole thing is called cause and effect. Every effect has a cause. At, at my old house, we had this dog pen in the backyard. I built this dog pen. Okay? I, I dug down around it, put in a foot of concrete so the dog couldn't dig out, put in some decomposed granite, a fence around it, dog house, some uh, water, and, and some food. And if you walked up and you saw that dog pen, you, know, you, you would say, oh, somebody designed that. Not well, right? But somebody designed the, the dog pen. Now, the, there, there is statistical probability that dog pen could have actually come about just by random chance. But anybody in their right mind is going to walk there and go, oh, look, somebody built that. Again, not well. But somebody built that dog pen. Anybody would just normally do that. Now, what do you hear today is the major theory of the beginning of the universe. Hello. I can't hear, so I'm just going to assume you said it back to me. Big Bang. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought about that. I'm like, I can't hear anyway. What am I doing? <laughs> the Big Bang. Okay. The Big Bang. Uh, the universe came from nothing by nothing according to this theory. Now, do you know what, according to most scientists today, the only thing that was created at the moment of the Big Bang was? Anybody know? Hydrogen. Anybody say that? I can't really tell, so whatever. Hydrogen, in which Dwayne Gish says this. He goes, this theory postulates in its crudest form that hydrogen, given enough time, makes people. 
That's true, right? According to scientific theory, something coming from nothing does not make sense. David Hume, much quoted atheist, believes that is the biggest problem for atheism today. Because anything that begins to exist or comes into being has to have a cause. It looks like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe and mankind began to exist. Therefore, the universe and mankind has a cause. In the beginning, God created. Now, Genesis is not meant to be a scientific treaty. It's Hebrew perspective simply stating that this is what happens. God made everything. That's why Genesis starts the way it does. Now, today we have like our scientific minds. We want to think about a lot of stuff, so we'll put it like this. We know that the creator of all things must, number one, he must be supernatural, meaning he is outside the laws of nature. Secondly, he must be uncaused because there cannot be an infinite regression of causes. And the third thing is he must be timeless because he is the creator of time. We also know that he creates space and matter, so he transcends space and matter. So we call this being God. Say, what caused God? Nothing. Only what begins to exist has a cause. God creates time, which you and I live within. And we try and put our framework all in this whole idea of time. But God even creates that. God is the uncaused cause because he created everything we see, we know, and everything we don't know. Bereshit, in the beginning of time, it doesn't say when, bara Elohim. This makes the momentous assertion about God's nature that he is wholly outside of time, just as he is outside of space, both of which he then proceeds to create. In other words, for the very first time in religious history, especially that of the ancient Near East, God is conceived of as a being entirely free of temporal and spatial dimensions. Now, for you and I, on top of all that, God has then revealed himself to his creation. See, we believe in God, but we believe in a God who created life, love, and holiness, and wisdom. Let me show you some verses. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1.16 and 17, for by him, this Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. 1 John 4.19 We love because he first loved us. Psalm 145 verse 8 and 9 The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That is the God who makes all things. And we believe that that God revealed himself to us because not only has he made the universe, set everything in motion, but he deems to make himself known to his people. And this is kind of what Genesis deals with, this relationship between God and man and God revealing himself to people. Now, God has revealed himself in two main ways. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. It's right in the middle. Right, now Psalm chapter 19, the first way God reveals himself to us is what is called general revelation. This reveals himself in nature. General revelation. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to days pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Almost all societies and people on our planet today have a foundation in the existence of God. Now, whether that's pagan or not is another matter, but in the existence of God. So how does nature reveal the, pre- the presence of God? 
Uh, physicist PCW Davies concludes that the odds against the initial conditions being suitable for the formation of stars, just stars, not planets and people and life and dog pens, j- just stars, is at least a thousand billion billion zeros to one. That's more than my dog pen coming out my natural means. Uh, Stephen Hawking said that if the rate of the expansion for the universe had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have collapsed into a big fireball. Kai Nelson, one of contemporary philosophy's most prominent atheists today, has, has talked about his greatest problem for atheism, and this is what he says. Suppose you hear a loud bang, and you ask me, what made that bang? And I reply, nothing, it just happened. You would not accept that. Of course you wouldn't accept that, because you're smart. Right? You got it. God revealed him such, himself in such a way that man is without excuse for not believing in him. We actually have to do mental gymnastics to get around not believing in him. And if man is without excuse for not believing in God, then it makes sense that God would reveal himself to people in a way that we could know him. And then this leads to the second type of revelation. This is called special revelation. You guys are going to get a college course this morning. This is called special or specific revelation, and it's revealed mainly in the scriptures. Special revelation is a fancy way of saying that God intervenes and makes his will and knowledge available that would not otherwise be available through general revelation. And again, it's, it's given mainly through the scriptures. This is why we try and give you Bibles. If you don't own one, you take one home so you have that special revelation of God talking to and, and coming to his people. It's also been given throughout the ages through angels and prophets and dreams and inspiration, Holy Spirit's guidance. But most importantly, it points to the person and ministry of Jesus and what he did. I mean, special revelation, it's there to impart that we give glory to God and also the knowledge and understanding of salvation and redemption. Special revelation is simply special because it's the written revelation with the special purpose of why man was created, what man is to do, what impairs man, and what God's solution is for that impairment. Uh, you can look at Second Timothy 3.16 and 17, and it kind of explains that a little bit. So this is what brings us to Genesis, this whole idea of specific revelation. In the beginning, the genesis of human life, of all of creation, everything. This is the book of beginnings. Bereshit bara Elohim shamayim aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you may be like, really? All morning, just this? Yes, all morning, just this. And I'll tell you why, because this is what people are confused about. And I'm giving you this because I want you to understand that God makes sense. He makes perfect sense. And as American culture, even look at this idea of in the beginning, we're like, okay, so what's the date? I want to circle on my calendar so, so my faith can be strengthened, so I have the date. People who want to disprove God go, tell me what the date is so I can put it on my calendar and realize I was at Panda Express that day and, I, and that couldn't have happened that day. I, I know it. God never gives anybody that option. He simply states, I did it, get over it. In the beginning, Bereshit can mean a multiple of things. It, it can mean the first of its kind. It can mean the choice part, like filet mignon or the top of a muffin. It can mean first fruits. It can mean firstborn. What it really means, at the beginning of Genesis, this word means at some point. So when was it? Eh, some point, he decided to do it. When? Some point. The Genesis document that, that you read, it's like 3,500 years old. 35, this is a sacred, ancient text. I believe that Moses wrote it 
Uh, now, some college professors want to disagree with me on that. Oh, Moses didn't write it. But I'll tell you, Jesus said Moses wrote it. And I'll go with God in the flesh any day over somebody who's been educated beyond their intelligence teaching a bunch of minds full of mush. You know, uh, you know some people go, oh, well, well, the earth must be 3,500 years old because... No, no, that's, that's not what it says. It, it never tells you how old it is because that's not the point. The point is God made the heavens and the earth. And you say, okay, great, I got it, really. So you're going to get me alone. I know you guys. So Aaron, what do you really think? When, when was it really made? I don't know! <laughs> you don't know! Stop asking me! That's the point. In the beginning, at some point, it doesn't nail anything down. That's, some say, oh, 4.5 billion years old. I got radiometric dating. Some theologians say, oh, it's 10,000 years old. I, I think they failed to take into account the proper Hebrew words, but, but no one knows. 10,000, 10 billion. Oh my goodness! My salvation's just shot. What am I gonna do? Seriously, grow up. Get over it. Cause the point is not how old it is. The point is that God made it. That's the point. And I will tell you, it is the best out of all the options we've found. Anybody want to live on Mars? I know they need moms, but anybody want to live there? No. <laughs> Venus? No. We have a good planet. It's, it's good. People make cookies here. It's, it's a good place to be. In Genesis, Moses is talking about God like every book of the Bible is about God. He's writing to a few million people who come out of slavery in Egypt and they're walking around in a hot, dusty, dry climate. And they're waiting for the promised land. It's part of a book known as the Pentateuch, which is one book in five parts. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. One book, five parts, written by Moses. And it introduces all of the scriptures. And Genesis is not exhaustive. It doesn't tell you all there is to know. It simply tells you what you need to know, especially when it comes to the creation account. It is not a book about dinosaurs and monkeys. It's a book about God and his dealings with mankind. And so Moses selects certain facts for about creation for us. And God couldn't tell us everything because we wouldn't understand everything. I know we think we're really smart. We want God just to tell us everything. But he'd be like, tell us, we'd be like, I don't get it. Okay. And he'd be like, exactly. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. God, through Moses, gives us what we need to know to know him and what God has been doing all along. Are you tracking with me on that? Yes. Good. Take a breath now. We're going to pass out. I think I'm kidding. Genesis actually covers as much time as the rest of the Bible combined in this, in this one book. And the point for us to see is that Creator God made us creation. And we know this because God reveals it to us. I'll tell you, all science can do is guess, hypothesize and guess. No one was there except for God. Go, oh, it's the Big Bang. They made a TV show called The Big Bang Theory. It's, it's gotta be real. No, it's a guess. It's a guess. But it's the Big Bang! Yeah, I know. It's a guess. I am not negating it. I think science is, is great. But only, only Scripture reveals how it came to be because only one person was there. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, you can try and read some science into Genesis, but that's not the point of the book. That's not the point. Galileo once said, The point of the Bible is to tell us how to go to heaven, not tell us how the heavens go. See, so the point here is to make sure that we understand redemption and hope and faith and love and life and that it's not about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth and how we live and God bringing redemption and hope as he originally intended. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the Bible summary of creation. 
Heaven and earth are preceded by what's called a definite article, and it specifies the observable universe. It's known as what's called a mirrorism. This is a this is the combination of opposites. It expresses the totality of the cosmos, because there is no word for cosmos in Hebrew. So if I were to say, you know, you, from head to toe, well, what about the belly button? Yeah, well, the belly button's in there, because between head and toe. So when he says heaven and earth, that means everything that we see. What about dinosaurs and monkeys? Yeah, that's... Heaven and earth, that, that, that's everything. You know, what about cats and hamsters and bugs? Yeah, that's in there. That's part of everything. This is what Moses wants us to know. And from here he moves to preparation of the land for human habitation. But this is the panorama shot. This is, this is like, it looks like this. This is like Genesis 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, whatever. And this is Genesis 1, 1. He just takes the panorama and he says, this is what you need to know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. First thing you need to know, God. Now, people have come and they've speculated about the seven days of creation. There's something called the day-age theory, where each of the seven days is actually an age of time. Uh, Some say it's a literal seven days. Other people say God created Adam and Eve maybe about 10,000 years ago, but there weren't humans per se like we are before that. And so the earth itself could be very old. The sun rises and sun sets and animals and plants, and it could all be very old, but the seven days of creation refer to a particular piece of real estate known as Eden. That view is actually gaining a lot of popularity today, but the whole point is none of that. The whole point is that God makes everything. And, and I would love to be more scientific than I am. I read more theology books than science books, but I do, I do read them both. But every time people come up with all these things, my questions are, well, then where did it come from? How did the impersonal make the personal? How did nothing make something? How does that which is purposeless make that which is purposeful? A lot of questions. Genesis 1-1 gives you an answer. God. The simple starting point of the scriptures is God made it. And we learn out later why his glory, our good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time and history have a beginning, and that is a good thing. We'll trace all time chronologically to that starting point that God made time. You get to Genesis 3, we screw up, we mess up everything, and then you realize that in the end, it's all about Jesus. Everything is pointing to who he is. And you might say, well, it's a young earth, or, or it's an old earth, or it's, or it's a young earth, but it's made to look old, like, like Adam in maturity, or a universal flood changed all the layers of strata, so it's all messed up. One thing we are certain of is God made it. I think it's funny when people get into all these arguments about all these things, because they totally miss the point. The point is, God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, in the beginning, uh, uh, God created, there, there are two primary names for God uh, in, in the Hebrew scriptures. One is Elohim. This is used in general reference to his creation, where God makes animals or cosmos or plants. And there's a specific word, which is Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah is actually a modern mispronunciation of the word. But this is God's personal name when he deals directly with mankind only. It's like the credit card companies. I am Mr. Carlberg. To you, I am Aaron or whoever that crazy dude is up here speaking this week, that, that's me. In the beginning, God. God simply says, I exist. Prove me wrong. I love how Mark Driscoll put it. He says, in Genesis, you learn about dinosaurs, naked people, fruit, people getting drunk like a hillbilly on vacation, guys who married their sister, but the point is God. God made out of nothing by himself all that we know. There are two words, essentially, for this, this making, this creation. The first word is bara, which I told you guys about. Only God gets to bara things in that way. And the second word is asa. This more means like built. You take something that's already there and you make something out of it. You and I were asad. We were made out of this creation that God had made out of the dust of the ground. And so we are physical and spiritual beings. 
This whole idea of in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth gets rid of the idea of natural selection or survival of the fittest. You have purpose. You are not an accident. Now, on a side note, you know, who came up with the, or had a major proponent of this whole natural selection idea? Darwin. Did you guys say it? It's again, I can't, <laughs> all I hear is like, <laughs> okay, what's the name of Darwin's book? Origin of the Species. Anybody know the whole title? Here's the whole title of the book. Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection for the Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. They do not tell you that because they want you to be a nice little naturalist atheist, but not a racist. They're kind of tricky, like someone who comes along in chapter 3, which we'll talk about. You know, what, you, you know maybe you, cannot, you and I disagree on you know, day-age theory or, or, or how old the earth is or what seven days actually meant and where it was, but the whole point we can come down to and agree with is that God is good, we are created in His image, and everybody has dignity and worth and value, and there is no favored races. It is God creating his people and his creation and loving and coming and showing himself to them. That is the point of Genesis 1.1, God. Quick little wrap-up. In uh, Genesis, you will see that God creates time, and he is independent of it. Everything is created by him and for him, and yet he is not dependent upon anything. In Genesis, you will see that God is the living God, and all life comes from him. Every single breath that you and I take belongs to him. There's one sect of Jews that actually believes that every time you take a breath, it is God breathing into you. Kind of a neat thought. Uh, in Genesis, you will see God is all-powerful and can make everything from nothing without assistance. God is not part of creation. This is not the Star Wars theology. God is over his creation, yet is involved in it. In Genesis, you will see that God made light and darkness and shadow and shading and colors and smells and music to praise him with. In Genesis, you will see that God is beautiful. Psalm 19, 1, again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. In Genesis, you will see that God is orderly and disorder comes from sin, yet God still wants to be involved with us and redeem us and bring us home. In Genesis, you will see that there is none above God and nothing beyond God. In Genesis, you will see, most importantly, that God speaks. God speaks. And, you, and you'll see, this is why the scriptures say, Psalm 95, 7 and 8, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We are to respond like creation does to God's voice. You got the first and second chapters of the Bible all about creation. Third chapter of the fall when you got all this terrible stuff that happens in the middle. And then Jesus comes and saves and redeems his people. When you get to 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is created to what God made him to be. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Yes. Yes, just like God in creation, he wants to do with you and I and remake us and bring us home in redemption. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Verse 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. This is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that's why we have to start there. Because if you miss that again, you miss everything. God is a great and good God, and he's revealed himself to us. This is one of the reasons every week we bring you to communion. Because communion is the place where we remember that God did come in the flesh, revealing himself to his people so that we could actually be saved and redeemed and restored and new creations in Christ. So we take that crack and we break it like Christ's body was broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice, remind us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because he is a great and a gracious God who deems to save his people. The band's going to come up. 
as they do, we do invite you to take communion. Uh, we invite you to sing along with us as well. <laughs> we all have colds, you know. This morning, Ryan, Ryan looks and he, he goes, because I'm telling you, this is like, I've got to sing like 24 songs today. <laughs> I'm not going to make that. <laughs> He's made it just fine. He's doing good. Yeah, I'm going to walk around you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, we worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, anything, uh, especially the whole idea of this, this concept of God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe you have some more questions. You can come and talk to us. Don't be like, so when was it? I'll be like, really, really? <laughs> Sit down. I'll give you half an hour sermon again. We'll do this over. Um, uh, there's offering boxes on the side of all in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is in simply part of our worship. Uh, it's, it's a response. Like all the stuff that we do, the, the music, the communion, the, the giving, the prayer, the fellowship in the back, it's all response to what God has done. Because our, our God has come and renewed relationship with his people so that we can have renewed relationship with him and each other. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And God is greater and better than we can ever imagine. I want you guys to pray with me. Father, this morning, I thank you so much for being a God who created all of these things, that you have been a God who gives common grace to all people, that you reach out and you touch and you call us home. You bring the, you bring the rain on the, on the wicked and the righteous. And yet, for us, you've also given us saving grace. Well, you have redeemed and restored us. We have taken the muck and the mess that we are and you made us new creations in your son. And I ask that we would live with the idea every day that you have made the heavens and the earth, that you hold all things in your hands, that you are the beginning and the end and the beginning and that we can trust you for everything that comes along and though we may not understand, you do because you've been there. Father, today I ask that we would live our lives in worship of who you are as our great God that has created all things. Much more so outside these walls than inside these walls. And that our worship wouldn't just be a few songs on a Sunday, but it would be a life that is lived, bringing great praise and glory to the one who has made the heavens and the earth and all that is therein. And we would honor you with our lives. Thank you for being good to us better than we could possibly imagine. And the more that we do imagine it, the more we do understand it, I ask you would humble us more and more. And we would live as vessels of your grace. Amen.